This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. All the Duke haters, all the media, congratulations, Duke is going home. As we said on our Twitter and our Instagram, it just wasn't meant to be. Um, cer- certainly disappointing is, uh, is an understatement, but by no means do I look at everything that we went through this year, starting from when we got our commitment from Zion all the way through Canada, up through the, the beginning of the season uh, route of Kentucky. I don't look at the season as a whole as a failure. Disappointed, sure. Failure, no. AC, how do you feel? We're about a week week out, actually a week to the day out uh, almost um, from, from losing to Michigan State. How do you feel now, and how did you feel uh, immediately following that game? Uh, my my feeling has been the same, which is it's just gonna suck to not be able to see this team anymore. Like that that's the part that's that's been killing me the most over the whole week. I think I think I was a little more angry during the beginning of the week, and not so much as a team at the team, but kind of more so at other other fans and and the media and fans of other teams because they were they've been waiting for this. You know, there's people who have been waiting for this to happen because they wanted to prove themselves right about how they felt about this Duke team the entire season. And no matter who they rooted for or what they did, and they got their chance. This uh, with with a uh, you know a, kind of a, a fluky three point shot from Goins from Michigan State to to kind of put things away, and it it just it sucks, man. It just sucks that this team in particular isn't moving on to the final weekend. Like I've seen, I haven't even watched anything about the Final Four this week, really. And and quite frankly, there really hasn't been much. This the story for the first first half of the week about the Final Four has been that Duke is not in the Final Four, not UNC, not Kentucky, not anyone else. The fact that Duke wasn't there has been the story for the week. So first and foremost, it kind of sucks for the the four teams that actually did make it. Um, you know, it, it kind of detracted from what they've been doing. On the other hand, I almost feel like it gives them somewhat of an advantage because they don't have to. I mean, they, they weren't under such some of the scrutiny that a lot of Final Four teams face going into that week. But, you know, whatever it is, what it is, that just shows what this Duke team was this season. Like, they were the story of college basketball for the next decade. Like, there's there's nothing – we haven't seen it in 10 years, and we're not going to see it for another 10 years. A, a team that was followed this closely and scrutinized this much that had a player that was just as – just domineering and dominating – in terms of his ability and his demeanor as, as Zion was. And it just sucks that it's over, man. Yeah, no, I, I want to echo that. Um, you know, I've never seen anything like it in all of my 36 years of being a fan of Duke. I've never seen anything like this season. And, and obviously part of that is it's 2019. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the social media and the yeah. nonstop 24-7 coverage uh, that goes into it. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about during, you know, the beginning of the week, um, and, and even more so as the week went on, you know, that luckily Dean Smith, during his whole career, and Coach K for the majority of his first half of his career, they didn't have to be subject to the social media and the 24-7 coverage because oh, yeah. uh, the, the fan and the media exposure and the, the coverage that I've seen this year uh, it's just absurd. I've never seen anything like it. And, yeah. and even coming into the year, Duke has no shortage of haters, <laughs> both from the media, whether you're talking about Seth Greenberg, um, <laughs> even our own, you know, Jay Williams at times. It, it's it's absurd. Uh, 
sloppy on penalties of some proclaimed Maryland guy. You're never going to have any shortage of haters from the media, but you're, in addition, you're never going to have any shortage of you know hatred from opposing fans. And this year, in particular, with how much attention was focused in, and a lot of that was obviously Zion Williamson. You put Zion and Duke together, it's just a perfect combination, a perfect storm of attention, mm-hmm. and it has to make you sick as an opposing fan. You know, it's kind <laughs> of like the Tebow coverage on steroids. That's oh, yeah. really what you know what it was, and you know I I, I want to you know touch on what you mentioned from a lot of our own fans. You know we get a lot of hate from the, the two parties we just mentioned, but you know that comes with the territory. You know and that territory has been built over 40 years by a coach pay, and you know we don't need any more haters because you know trust me we have plenty of them. Meaning when we lose. We don't need our own fans turning on our coach, our program, and our players. And to me, that was the, the most sickening thing that I saw uh, on the message boards and, and, and on social media. It came from our own fans. We don't need that. You know, if you want to question, you know, X's and O's and, and decision-making and, and, and calls, by all means, do that. But the unadulterated passion of our guys is, is completely uncalled for. And it, and it just reeks of entitlement. And, uh, you know, because it didn't live up to the hype or the expectations that you set out, you know, you throw a hissy fit and, you know, demand answers as if, as if you deserve answers. You know, you weren't there. You weren't there for right. in the hours every single day to get into that position. And it just makes me sick as a fan to, to see our own turn against our program and our guys. I, I, I don't know. That, that to me was the most uh, depressing thing that I saw. Uh, immediately following and still happening now yeah and i think that's i i think i think we'll see more of that as time moves on only because it's easier to put your thoughts out into the space and i, yeah. I think that's what we're getting I, I i think the closest thing to this team in terms of maybe hype and media coverage was when you know duke was going to repeat in 92 and you know you hear the stories about how they put bobby hurley in a bag and 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 had to carry him into the arena that way and everything else, you know, all, all those, all those fun tales about how, you know, this team was like, that team was like a, a, a group of rock stars and yeah. every, every game was a concert and all of that. I think, I think that was probably similar in terms of what this team probably physically saw in terms of fans at the arenas and things like that. But as you mentioned, social media is just a totally different monster now. So this team has had to face something, no other Duke team or really no other college basketball team period has ever had to face. And I, I think that they performed admirably. I mean, it's, it's not only is it difficult to be a, a one and done type of kid, get kids straight to think about yourself straight out of high school and trying to navigate your own life and figure out who you are and what you're trying to do. And you have your own stuff you have to deal with, whether it's school related, whether it's home related. I mean, God, for God's sakes, Trey has to deal with his mom with a, a breast cancer diagnosis and while he's trying to think about that on the other side he has to hear from all the pundits on on tv and online and fans from opposing teams and other teams how he can't hit a jump shot and how the scholarship was wasted on a point guard that can't hit a jump shot like come and, on, and, and, like, and how and how he's not as good as his brother right you know right. It, it's just it's one after, after all another season which by the way after all season until that point it was he was his brother. Like all the they had, they would yeah. put side by side comparisons of their their stats and everything else. People would call him Tyus on a regular basis. So I mean, it's it, I, I think I think those things have always existed, and those people have always existed. 
I just think that now that social media is around, they have a bigger voice and they have a, a more pronounced voice. And then not only that, but then you have other people who share that same ideology. And now they want, they can be in California and Washington state and North Carolina and Georgia. And now they can all talk to each other and, and group up together and kind of create that hive mind group thing. And I, I think that's what you see more often is that people are able to do that. So we're going to see it more and more like next year's team. Yeah. I really feel sorry for next year's team. Yeah. Because I do there's going to be a huge Duke hangover in the first half of the season, like the first half of the season, it's going to be comparisons from this past Duke team who all of a sudden now next season, when they compare them to the next team, this Duke team that just lost is going to be one of the greatest of all time. And that, that rhetoric is going to show up next season to start the year. And then that team is not going to be able to live up to that because no one is going to be able to live up to what this Duke team has set in terms of their coverage and, and talent and some of the skill that they place forward. And so then they're not, then that team is going to get scrutinized in a different way for a little bit, but then it'll kind of, it should tail off. And then that team should have a little bit of normalcy throughout their season. But to, to begin the season, it's going to be rough on this, this upcoming team. Yeah. The expectations of that team are not going to be fair. Mm-hmm. In, in many ways, that's kind of how it is every year, but on the, on the tails of this team uh, and the exposure that they got, um, I, I almost, I almost feel bad for them. You, to, you know what to an extent, but. You know what I kind of feel, kind of, kind of liking it to. I, I really feel like we, we can probably draw some comparisons to how this this Duke team that just finished, and then the next Duke team, how the, how people talk about them and deal with them. I think it's going to be very similar to how when Coach K finally steps down, how the next coach is viewed. I, that that next coach who has the job right after K is going to, it's going to be very similar in terms of well, what what is uh, placed on that person's head. Yeah, on that note, actually, um, you know, I've read on the boards, uh, you know, every year, you know, we, we have fun and talk about, you know, who's next and, and who might take over for Kay and how we need to make sure that we give that person, you know, time to, you know, do things and, and build and how it's not going to be easy. Well, you know, you see all those people saying that, and then the reality is, and the mm-hmm. reality was Coach K went out for a few games last year and Cable lost a couple of games. Yep. And every single person turned on him. Yep. I have never seen like I what did you, like what are you expecting out of this guy? Right. He's sitting like he's filling in, and it's just like I feel bad for that next coach. And and that mm-hmm. is you know we're in the off season now, um, and that's going to be a topic you know that we're going to have to cover uh, at oh, some yeah. point this off season. Um, you know, kind of. I don't know, educating or encouraging Duke fans to remember what it was like uh, when Coach K started his career and, you know, how, you know, Butters stood behind him when things weren't all, all rosy. So, um, you know, we can talk all day about that, but let's touch a little bit about the, the game itself against Michigan State. Um, you know, we can, you know, we can talk about a lot of different things. Um, you know, the fact that we didn't have any real transition points. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about certain plays. We can talk about, you know, some really nice inbound plays from Izzo. But the reality is, is that with 35 seconds to go, we had the lead. And Goins, who is one for seven on the day from three, three of 11 on the day coming into that shot, hit a, I mean, hit a great shot. Mm-hmm. He hit the shot of the game clearly over mm-hmm. an outstretched dry on. And there was, for the first time I can remember all season, uh, miscommunication on, a team that switches everything when Trey left and stuck with, uh, with Cassius instead of, you know, making the switch. So, um, I, you know, I, 
I don't know where to begin with it. Um, we won every single statistical category other than the turnovers, and to me, that was the difference. Yeah, it was. It, it, that's what puts you in that position. Like, that shot is clearly the biggest of the game, and quite honestly, you know, even if even if it was on the other side and Queese took that shot, you almost have to expect in a situation like that with with us, us you know, some for the most part, what is a wide open jump shot, you have to expect almost almost any D1 athlete outside of Ethan Happ who can't hit anything out of two feet to hit that jump shot. Like you have to expect it just because, I mean, that's what these guys do, man. They practice it every day. They've shot that shot a thousand times. At some point, it's going to go in for them no matter what, you know, no matter what their averages were going into the game or during the game or whatever else. And I, I honestly, that shot was kind of, a little bit of a, I'd say a, not a microcosm, but it, it did kind of sum up some things that had happened with this team in the past, which was we are typically able to make some kind of an athletic play to cover up for a deficiency like that. And that's the wrong time to have to do that. That's one of those you wish at the end of the game, you see, you see guys sticking with guys, give up the two point shot instead of the three, those types of things. And you know, that that's a little bit of what we saw there. So it, it was it's it's an unfortunate shot for Duke fans, great shot for Michigan State fans, one they'll talk about for years and years and years to come, especially because it's against this particular Duke team. We're gonna scrutinize that shot and some of our players and things for a while. But the story is, as you mentioned, you can't turn the ball over seventeen times and continue to expect to beat top five, top ten caliber teams. And you also can't stop playing to your strength, which is the transition game when you only have four, you only have four points in transition. Like what, that's my question is what happened there. And and really that has, that has been something this team has done since pretty much just before Zion went out against UNC, that first, the first UNC game that the, the team stopped running. And when it happened, then I almost thought of it as K was kind of pushing, pulling back the rain some so that you don't have too much tape going into the tournament. And that's not the identity that, this team was going to set moving forward so that teams wouldn't focus so much on stopping them in transition because it's almost like, Oh, well, they're not running in transition that much anymore. And teams will see that on tape in terms of recency. But I mean, he, I, I thought that was something that they could just kind of turn back on. Like you, you can inbound the ball pretty quickly and move up court quickly. Like they had been doing all season and for whatever reason, be it fatigue, be it, you know, maybe insecurity in the system. I don't know what it was, but they just, they weren't doing it anymore. I don't know if K pulled the reins back. I don't know if the guys weren't comfortable doing it anymore. I'm not sure, man, but that was, that was something that, that we didn't see out of this team really anymore since, since the end of February. And it was, it was a shame to not see it come back during this tournament time. Cause I think, I think this team, if they had ran a little bit more, you wouldn't have had the close game against UCF because that's that's exactly how you take advantage of that team with Taco because Taco Fall is going to be back. You're you're playing four on five basically in transition. Uh, Virginia Tech, the way they like to slow the game down, they had trouble with teams that ran. Like UNC really gave them a problem. Um, and, and then and then this Michigan State team was was prime for for a double digit loss if Duke was able to run, but they weren't. And and people said it's because Michigan State was doing such a good job of getting back. No, they weren't. They were running with Duke down floor the entire time. We just weren't we weren't pushing the ball, and it was it, it really that that's that's handicapping your your biggest strength in in my opinion. So I'm not sure what happened there. I I hated to see it, but you know, again, one one bucket away, and we still would have been there. So that just goes to show how good the team was. Yeah, you know, it's funny because at the height of what we were doing, uh, even when we would have slow uh, first halves, and that happened, you know, 
somewhat regularly in the, in the uh, during the season, mm-hmm. we would usually come out to start the second half in some sort of full court pressure situation. Right. That's how we would turn other teams over, and that's how we would break the games open. And we would be able to get you know a bunch of turnovers, create turnovers, get easy buckets. That's where the, where this team was at its at its best. Mm-hmm. Getting out uh, getting out in transition, creating turnovers, getting easy scores is the signature play for this current team. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like you said, we didn't do that. Perhaps it was fatigue. Um, that that could be it. I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, Kay, uh, as he always does, you know, he plays six or seven guys that he can trust. He doesn't play mm-hmm. anybody that he doesn't trust. And, you know, he, he played the guys that, that he trusted, you know, in that game. And to be fair, Michigan State only plays six guys too. Right. So that might have been a situation where, you know, he just figured my six are better than your six. And, um, you know, I'm just going to try to keep the game close until the last five minutes. And I'm going to let my two best guys do what they've done all season long and beat your guys. And the last three minutes, um, he ran the same exact play every single time. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the pick and roll. Uh, RJ would be kind of that elbow on the right, uh, Zion a little bit toward the corner, Javin yep. coming to set the screen, and it would be for the one of the two of them, uh, depending on who had the better matchup. And all season long, it was who can read the, who can read the defense and pick the right matchup to go. And, you know, Zion made the last bucket that we had. Um, you know, RJ a couple of plays before, had a humongous three, yep. and it, it seemed to be working. And then, you know, RJ obviously you know, drives in at the end. And, and and the people that were saying that Zion needs to touch the ball every time, he did touch the ball every time down. Right. He did have opportunities every time down. Right. Give credit to Michigan State for double and triple teaming him. Uh, yep. Zion read it correctly. He's not going to go force it in when he has R.J. Barrett right there. Mm-hmm. R.J. missed the, the 1-3 uh, locally. Uh, credit to Cam for um, hustling and giving us another chance. Yep. Uh, that last play for us, uh, was actually drawn up for Cam to have a three, uh, much like the Florida State game. Yeah, it was a Florida State uh, play almost exactly. And they covered it. You know, good yep. on them for, uh, you know, watching the tape and understanding what was to come. They covered yeah. that perfectly. Uh, it was a little bit of different personnel out there as well. Police was not out there. Javin was. Could that have been something? I don't know. But they covered it well. Um, Zion touches it. He passes it off to RJ, who had the better opportunity. RJ made a great play. He goes in the traffic. He, you know, gets fouled, goes to the line, yep. and uh, he doesn't convert. And right. there it is. That's the ball game. So, you know, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's it's frustrating. It's it's disappointing. Um, How about on a, a positive little... note? Yeah, How about on a positive note, a, a, a shot, just a quick shout out to uh, to to Javin. I hate that we wasted a Javin Deloria double double. Yeah, <laughs> like usually you told me you have a Javon Deloria double double. I say we're gonna win the game at least by fifteen. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, you you would think so. Um, you know, let's talk about the 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 run in the first half though. If it was really a tale of two two halves, mm-hmm. you know, of course it, it should have told you what was gonna happen. Uh, obviously, the first play of the game, uh, your boy Javon Deloria is not even paying attention, and RJ throws <laughs> uh, the ball away, and they get an easy two. If that doesn't happen, we win the game, AC. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> um, but you know, 
we had a chance. We we had a nine point lead. Everything yeah. was going well. Cam hits a big three. RG came comes right back and hits a big three. They call timeout. We got all the momentum. Kay's firing up. You could tell on the sideline. Everybody's firing up. Uh, and then you have a play where RJ, you know, short arms a passing to, to Zion. Uh, they pick it off, and Zion picks up a, you know, a cheap second foul, and he has to sit the rest of the half. And then we inexplicably let them go on a 13-0 run, mm-hmm. and we're down four at the half. But let's talk about that little sequence there. Yeah, it was it was a huge sequence, and watching that, like, it, it, it happened so early in the game that, you know, that's not going to be – that wasn't going to be a deciding run, but I was I was really pumped seeing that because finally we'd seen some a little bit of run life out of this team because for the past few games all the way back into the ACC tournament we hadn't seen any huge monster runs like there was a decent run at the end of the half against UCF that that was pretty much it like there was there were some runs to get back into some games but not not runs to put us in the lead and and really take over a game so that was. That was nice to see. You knew Michigan State was going to come back with a little bit of a run of their own off of a timeout because they're a good enough team to do that. But I wasn't expecting 13-0, that's for sure. And you brought up a really good point about how this team down the stretch ran the same play over and over and over again. That, that to me, showed exactly how, you know, this this team, there's, there's not a lot of creativity in the half court. It's, uh, it's just, it's very frustrating because the team was so good. Because the other pieces, I mean, the other pieces were good enough and should have been good enough to to help out in those situations. I mean, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I'll, I'm gonna hand it back over to you on this one because the the runs, like we we need runs. This team in particular needs runs because they don't shoot threes particularly well. So when you do have a stretch where you do hit those threes, you got to take advantage of it. And and they just weren't able to do it. Like three point shooting, the inability to three point shoot is not what doomed this team. It's just the fact that, at you know you got to be able to do something off of hitting a two-point shot. This team was good enough, man. God damn it. They're good enough. I hate saying yeah. that. I hate saying that they're good enough. They're good enough, but whatever. Yeah, they, they, they're, they certainly were. They were deserving of, of a Final Four, as Coach K said, and we felt all year that we were destined to, to go to Minneapolis. Um, you know, to me, and to wrap up this segment, and it's been a long segment, but it, it, this team deserves it. Um, mm-hmm. I just think we had uh, way too many um, – unforced errors in mm-hmm. that game that that ultimately cost us an opportunity whether they were you know happening during runs that we had or uh fueling runs that they had uh or giving us an opportunity to put the game away with 90 seconds to go um or you know the very last you know the very last possession we just we just didn't make the plays that we've actually made all season long and that's where we're going to transition the podcast now and Let's talk about the season as a whole. Next play. Mm-hmm. And I started off the podcast saying that while as disappointed as we are, to me, the, se- the season wasn't a failure. I want to ask you, though, you know, to kind of touch on your last uh, alluding point, do you wish that we would have um, maybe adapted a different offensive mindset um, than to find out that we were basically running the whole season? And I know that with injuries, it throws a wrinkle in things. But do you wish that there was something that, uh, you know, Kane maybe wouldn't have been able to implement that we could have drawn on when things got a little stale? Yeah, no, I do. I, I wish his his old motion offense, 
as as difficult as it is to make some reads at certain points, his old motion offense is brilliant, and it's what put it's what put him in the conversation of being the greatest of all time. The way he he used to run motion with his teams, and before you know, before this devolves into some experience versus one and done nonsense. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm not saying that the rookies can't run the motion because they have in the past. Jabari's team ran it quite frequently, actually. But the five out requires you to be able to hit shots, and we hear we hear it all season how they're you know inexplicably in practice this team will you know knock down three point jumpers all day long. So then the five out looks great. But then they get into games and they can't do it. Okay, well, we've had a whole season worth of, of evidence to show that, okay, fine, if they are hitting them in practice, in games they aren't. And you, you're not just going to all of a sudden turn that on. So what else can you do outside of, of, of four out, one in, or five out when you're not a great shooting, shooting team? And, you know, this team, the, some of the strengths of some of the players weren't you – know, it, it wasn't necessarily showcased because – they were stuck into stuck in that system, and it's hard to run. You can't just run that five out system fluidly, just based on we have guys who can take the ball one on one against everybody else. Like, at, at, especially at this level, it doesn't just work like that. And okay, knows it doesn't just work like that. I'm not telling him something he doesn't know. I'm what I'm just saying is it. There's a lot of cohesion that's necessary, and that cohesion was definitely lost with the injuries that we had. So the injuries, as as little as people like to make it a reason why something happened or an excuse or whatever else people want to say. It is a reason. It's a, a very big reason. When you lose your point guard for a week and a half, two weeks out of practice, you lose your best player for three weeks almost out of practice and games. And, and at some point, you know, who, how, who knows how often Cam was out if he was having some of these issues with his knee and some of the other things that he was kind of sitting out with, you know, who, who knows how often he was out. Jack was off often out at times. Queese was out. So when you're losing some of these key pieces, and what you're supposed to be practicing and in, in, in practice with your with your white team, then you know, I mean it's 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 no wonder Jordan, Jordan Goldwire got time in games the way he did because he was probably running spots for other people. So you know, it's just right. it, it, it's difficult. That the injury thing is a difficult thing to deal with. And yes, every team deals with injuries to a certain degree, but it just seems like this Duke team year after year after year deals with some of the most significant injuries to their guys, man. Like Purdue doesn't lose Carson Edwards for, for five and six game stretches. You know what I mean? Like teams, teams aren't losing their best guy. So Duke is for whatever reason. So it's just, yeah. it's a shame that it's happening and, you know, hate to see it happen. But when you run that style of offense, then yeah, it's, it's very detrimental to what you're trying to do when you don't have some of your key guys in spots and, and some of that chemistry is not being built as the season wears on because what you have in December and November is totally different from what you have in January, February, and March. The, the thing that one of the, th- one of the things that doing this team this year is we'll be able to say is, is injuries. It really is outside of that. This was a wildly successful season. And I wish people would be able to see that. Like it was so successful. This, this year was so great. RJ was so good this year. A, a triple, a, a couple times he almost had triple doubles and didn't have one. And, and to put up the numbers he put up all season, it was incredible. Zion, obviously, like we can we can talk about him to death. Trey, his his first two months of the year, two and a half, three months of the year had, were spectacular. He goes down, but then he comes back off the injury and is still a, a very good asset. You know, it, it so many things, so many good stories. Jordan Goldwire coming out of nowhere and and saving saving Duke against Louisville, and then after that, subsequently playing really well the rest of the season. And you know, what what a good time for him, like. It's it's difficult, man. Jack White's start of the season. Let's not let his end 
detract from how well he started the season. He started the season so well that people are saying that he probably has NBA aspirations at the start of that season. Like, man, what a, what a good year this was for these guys in general. We had a whole entire segment at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the calendar year about, you know, should Jack White be starting? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, literally that Syracuse game is one that, you know, unbeknownst to us for many reasons, um, because everybody was focused on the Trey Jones injury and what impact that would have. Uh, unbeknownst to us, the, the impact mentally that it would have on Jack White going over 10 in that game, he never mentally recovered. So, you know, when you're talking about the offseason and, and getting work up, you know, Jack White had a phenomenal offseason this past year where he was mm-hmm. breaking, <laughs> breaking uh, shooting drill records. Right. So I don't care about Jack White going in the gym and shooting a thousand shots. I want Jack White to spend 40 hours a week with some sort of uh, therapist, um, <laughs> some kind of sports psychologist to be like, yeah. yo, Jack, it's just a game, man. Uh, you know, just one I'm up. But I do want to touch on two things that you, you brought up. Um, in the Michigan State game, in that, that piece stretch, that last 67 minutes of the second half, there were two key plays where RJ drove the lane, read the defense correctly. They came up and picked him up in the lane. He kicked it out to the left to, to Zion in the corner who nailed a big three. Uh, another time down with about, I want to say 90 seconds or so left when RJ hit the big three, it was Zion on the right driving, drawing the, uh, the double or triple team, kicking out to RJ on the lane and him burying a three. So mm-hmm. from that standpoint, it worked. To your point about during the season, to be able to implement something is really difficult to do, uh, not only with the injuries, but the timing of the injuries. So right. if you look at the Trey Jones injury against Syracuse, we had to come right back and go against number one to be UVA. Trying to implement a new offense at that point is impossible. Mm-hmm. He implemented an offense that says, hey, let's get to the last five minutes of this game, and then Zion and RJ, you take over. And that was what that specific game called for, you know, and then, you know, we talk about uh, the, the first Carolina game. We're the hottest team in the country. We are the best team in the country. I think he's hands down. Zion goes out within the first 30 seconds of the game and unbeknownst to us, he's out for the rest of the rest of the year, mm-hmm. um, regular season wise. So when are you going to, when are you going to implement there? We're right. just trying to put a bandaid over, you know, a, a large wound and, just trying to get ourselves to the postseason. So while, yeah, in hindsight, you know, our massive armchair quarterback arms can tell us what we should have done, it's not that simple. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I always hate the blanket statements that are always thrown out. You know, we don't develop so-and-so. We don't develop a bench or we don't play enough guys. And that's why these guys are, you know, winded at the end of the – it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. If it was that simple – you know, Coach Kane wouldn't be regarded as the greatest coach of all time because anybody could do it. Right. And, you know, I'm so sick and tired of that because you just brought up multiple good points. Jordan Goldwire, he is going to now hopefully benefit from the experiences that he had starting with that Louisville second half run. Absolutely. All the way through, he had a big ACC tournament. He, you know, he was uh, a catalyst in shutting, not really shutting down, but having a big instrumental impact on both Cam Johnson and Aubrey Dawkins in the uh in the second round so he can be able to draw off that jack hopefully can draw off of what he did in canada in the first half of the year he played phenomenal against Mm -hmm. kentucky people forget about that 
and then Texas Tech, what he did in that game, he was the MVP, arguably, uh, of that of those two games. Yep. And you know, he he can hopefully draw from that. Before Marquise goes down against UNC in the first ninety seconds of that game at UNC, he was having a great year. Yep. He was having a phenomenal calendar year, a phenomenal ECC record to the point where Javon Deloria wasn't playing as much. Mm-hmm. And you know, then Javon steps up and, and has a really nice ECC tournament. And, and does what he could in, in the uh, in the NCAA. So these are all experiences. No, they don't all happen in unison every single game of the year, but they're all experiences that you can draw on. And yep. then obviously Alex, you know, uh, he went 0 for 7 against Virginia Tech, but I thought he actually played well, proving that you don't have to shoot well to play big minutes for Coach K. Yeah, and no. Yep. So, you know, I, I, I hate that we don't develop anybody. And, you know, these just stupid arguments that can be proven false time after time after time, yet people keep throwing them out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's – number one, how how can you not develop just being – I mean, you don't develop in games. You develop in practice. It's it's becoming a cliche to say that even, which is a shame because that you even have to say it. You, you don't develop in games. Yes, do you develop something in games? Absolutely. There's a certain timing. There's a certain, you know, you can't, you can't mask or, 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 you know, you, you can't clone the, the adrenaline that happens to you in a game when all the fans are screaming and everything else. Sure. No, no, you can't, you can't repeat that in practice. Of course not. But the muscle memory, everything else that comes, that gets you to that point of being in a game, that's all developed in practice. It's all developed then and in the off season. And that's, that's where next season you know the, the development of these guys it's it's going to come next season and and having to do have take a trip like canada yeah you get to start practice early and that's nice but the other part of something like that is you're already you're essentially breaking off your first and second teams in in july which it it, it helps in some regards and in some regards it doesn't because now guys aren't getting certain looks that they might normally get in a normal off season in july and in august like that that's a very crucial time those two months are really crucial so you know, just being kind of thrust into that definitely sets some guys back in terms of, you know, what, what they can do to start October and November. It is what it is. And to to have to try to bring new guys in during the ACC season, that's just, you know, that's just asking for trouble almost. But these guys did yeah. it, man. That's the thing. They still did it. Like Jordan Goldwire came in in the bulk of ACC season and did it. Joey Baker, I, I personally didn't like the move, but I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it one bit that if next season he benefited from kind of coming off the back burner and sitting on the side with Brennan Besser in practice and, and getting some looks with and against the first team and, and, and practice the way he did at towards the end of the season, even though it didn't show in games. I guarantee you that there's going to be some benefit from that. So, you know, it, it, it happens. It is what it is. Development is a two-way street because sure. it's, it's on the coaches to help get you the drills and things to develop, but it's also on the players to get better. And if they can't get better, then you know what? There it is. It's not that they're not developing. It's that they've reached their maximum potential. And some of these guys have reached what they can possibly do. Like Jack White's not going to become some all of a sudden some slasher that's going to take you off the dribble and take you inside. Like that's not the development that's going to happen for Jack. His development's going to be to consistently hit shots and, and continue to rebound the way he did, the way he learned how to rebound from development. Queese, it's the same thing. His development's going to come in the form of how does he operate on the offensive end a little bit better. And, and we've seen that he can develop that a little better. Jordan Goldwire's development is going to become now, can he take the next step as a point guard and be able to penetrate a little bit more? Like all those things are, they're going to happen over time. For those guys, it's a two and three year race. For guys like Zion and RJ, it's a four month race. So 
like yes players are developed i'm sorry they are and they're developed like you said at, at very different times throughout the season you see their development kind of come forward and and that's just what you deal with in this era of one and done basketball you're dealing with developing keeping your program running by developing the one and done guys in four months and and making sure that the other next one and the one and done guys that are coming up can see that you can do that and then on the other hand you're also still trying to develop two and three year guys to to garner some skill sets that they don't even have yet so people can talk about it like it's so easy to just develop guys that shit is difficult man and yeah. and he's been doing it at, a, at an incredible rate and better than anybody else who could do it i promise you that yeah i, I think there's no question because you always see well you know the simple thing is that we should have a perfect blend of uh veterans and one and dones you know i'm not saying i don't want one and dones i'm just saying mm-hmm. we need a perfect what well yeah that, that that would be phenomenal you know how to do that <laughs> coach right. can't figure it out like, because it's not that simple right. and you know you don't plan for uh Tyus jones having the the end of the season that he did and going pro when you planned on him having you know a couple years at mm-hmm. you don't plan for that you don't you know some people thought justice might be a one and done but most thought that he'd be here a couple of years mm-hmm. even if you thought like, then you have uh, and it's, it's, why, it's one of the reasons why Brandon Ingram didn't decide until very late. He, he wanted then, to see what those losses looked like. And very quickly, another caveat to that, I'll just get back to your point. Sure. If Justice and Tyus don't have one-and-done type seasons, we don't have another championship. Let's add that to that mix. And Correct. Then people, don't, people don't have and another I'm pretty championship sure to hang their take, hat on. And I, right, and I'm pretty sure you'll take that every single time. You'll take Absolutely. that exchange. And it, it, it just kind of snowballs, you know what I mean? And and while we can sit here and say, you know, yeah, well, we shouldn't have taken so and so many, you know, one and dones. Well, let's t- let's talk about that, okay? So in 2016, the year following our national championship, where we had three one and dones unexpectedly, we only took one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the next year, uh, we had a, a sophomore Luke Kennard that we were hoping was going to take the next step. But how did we know that that next step would have meant that he would have played himself right into the freaking lottery? We mm-hmm. didn't know that. And then Frank Jackson, who there's no way we thought he was going to leave, not even after the year he had. Right. So now you're just like, well, we have to fill these spots somehow. And what are you going to say, Marvin Bagley, we don't want you? We're, we want right. to make sure that – no, that, that's, not, that's not realistic. You take the best player in the country. Yeah. And, he, and, and by the way, he rewarded you. But mm-hmm. you kinda, it's not as simple as saying, well, we're just a one-and-done factory now. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at a, on a blanket statement, yeah, you can you can make that argument. I get it. I'm not naive. I get it. But it's not that simple. There are so yeah. many things that go into how we got to this point. You've got to fill those those voids somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you're going to try to fill them with the best. What are you going to say? You know, and, and the other thing I always get back to is, well, Cam didn't know about RJ and John. No, yeah, he did. They were all on a blue text together. <laughs> All the way the season, uh, season before their senior years. Correct. So, like, Coach K had this vision, and you talked about it on the podcast earlier in the season. How this recruiting—we're actually going to talk about recruiting in a little bit—but you talked mm-hmm. about how you know you have this big, you know, big whiteboard in every coach's office, and they go back. How many years do they go back? You know, two, three, four years. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. So th- these aren't like accidents. That oh well, we just happen to get. Marvin Bagley and Wendell didn't. Well, what's what's the big story with Cam? The big story with Cam is immediately following the championship at 15, the staff is calling him. Right. That should go ahead and tell you how far out 
these guys are recruited. And and that should also speak to you about how when someone unexpectedly leaves, how much that changes things. Because I promise in these conversations, Frank Jackson is not talking to Kay about, well, coach, if, if, if possible. Maybe he does say, if possible, I want to go one and done. But that is definitely met with a retort of, hey, Frank, I've been doing this for years. I know that if I can keep you around for two years, I'll make you a, a lottery pick. So Frank's like, okay, right. cool, coach, that works. And then all of a sudden he leaves when he's a second-round pick. Like, that that sets you back for two seasons because you you were expecting to have Frank Jackson last year with that group. And, and, and you were expecting to be able to recruit some different guys coming into this season that you weren't able to evaluate anymore because now you're playing catch-up on your evaluations. It changes things big time. It really does. Let's let's not understate how much it changes things when somebody leaves unexpectedly. Look at the pro- the point guard process. It was an almost three year process trying to replace Tyus Jones. Just saying. Yeah, it is, and and that, I think that's the perfect transition to our next topic, which is the recruiting for 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 Duke. Let's play. We have a lot of things that that we need to talk on, and let's start with who we know for sure is coming in next year. So obviously, we have the big fella. Ronan Carey, left-hander, uh, he's for sure going to be one and done. We know yep. that. Is there anybody else? We have Boogie Ellis. We have Wendell Moore. Is there anybody else that we believe that is currently coming in that we know for sure about that is committed that we believe is going to be – and I, I'm actually going to include Joey Baker in this okay. – um, that we believe will be one and done of those three guys. So I, I made a I made a joke post on on one of the message boards. I, I pretty much listed the entire roster and said that I expect them all to leave and go and and go to the NBA draft this season, except for Joey Baker because I said he's going to come back and redshirt again. If Vernon's gone for sure, like as as he should be in this in this era of basketball. Yes, he's he is going to be gone. Wendell Moore was just because he's a five star with size and 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 a certain skill set. I, I think he's another one that people are looking at saying, "Yep, he's he's." he should be gone theoretically. Um, do, do I think he should be gone? Probably not. But do I think he will be gone? Like, how can you tell a kid to turn down millions of dollars if it's there? You right. know, it just depends on what this draft is going to look like and what guys at his position are looking like and how he plays as to whether or not he'll be there. I think he's kind of like that. He's sort of like that justice play where coming into the season, no, you don't think he's going to be one and done because he has some deficiencies in his game that he can work on. But can he play himself into a one-and-done position? Absolutely, and he's going to get the opportunity to because he's going to replace key positions. So he's going to get the chance to do it. Will he be? I guess we'll, I guess we'll, we'll talk about this next March, about whether or not he absolutely will be. But I, I think that there's a <laughs> – you say there's a good chance to go either way. I think there's a good chance for him to go either way. Like I think, I, I think there could be a good chance that he sticks around for a year or two, and I think there's a good chance that he leaves after the first year. I don't know. It's like he's – He's that in-between type of player. He's a true tweener in terms of no specific position, kind of does a lot of things on the court pretty well. But if he shows out as a shooter and a defender or some things like that, then he's gone. Like, there's no way he's sticking around. And and absolutely, he should go get his money. Uh, Boogie, I don't see him being a one-and-done type. And I've, I've seen a Frank Jackson comparison with him in terms of in terms of just that, like he should be sticking around for two or three years, kind of like we thought Frank should stick around for two or three years. Frank was still on McDonald's All American. Boogie was not. Frank was still rated a lot higher. Boogie was not. And that's not to, that's not to detract from Boogie because I think Boogie is a phenomenal player. I think the brakes need to be pumped on on Boogie so that he's not unfairly put into some position like Nolan Smith was when he first came in. Because to me, they're similar in terms of what they do on the court. Nolan was just Nolan. Nolan was better at it than Boogie is now, and Boogie is really good at it. So he's he's got to add some strength. He's got to add 
some elements to his game in terms of penetration and shots, but the kid, the kid can score and he can shoot, which is going to be good for this team. So I think we see Boogie in a Duke uniform for a couple of years. I really do. But again, in this era of basketball, who knows if he has a monster season, which I hope that he has, because that means we're going to be near the top of the NCAA again, then he could absolutely be gone. That's the thing about this one and done era. It's if guys play well enough to get there, then that means your team benefits because your team is awesome. And, those guys benefit because that means they can go chase a couple million dollars now. So, yeah, you know I mean, ho- hopefully, hopefully, Boogie does have a one and done type season. Hopefully, Wendell uh, right. Wendell Moore does have a, a one and done type season. The, realistically, I don't know that they will. Yeah, that that's the whole double edged sword. And then you throw on the fact that it's Duke. You know, we're more mm-hmm. polarizing, so it actually gives the vehicle that if you do have a good year, it's going to be arguably blown out of proportion a little bit mm-hmm. um, to the fact that you can, you know, test your chances in the one and done. So, um, you know, let's talk about Matthew Hurt. Obviously, he's the biggest target we have left. And then yeah. we have with Watford. So, and Watford. Yeah, so let's talk about both of their games and where do we see our chances. I know we've touched on Matthew Hurt before, mm-hmm. and I know we feel like we're in a good position. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, and I have all season, I would like to point out. <laughs> I've been banging the Matthew, drum, Matthew Hurt drum all season long. Because you, you could just kind of tell that his his recruitment was trending away from Kansas, even if they were consistently seen as the perceived leader and trending towards Duke. And and that's that I think that's going to prove correctly on was it April nineteenth? I think is his announcement date. Yes. Um, he comes in as you know we we won't break his game down, but so much because we talked about it before. He's a, a good shooting big man who also blocks a lot of shots. His rebounding leaves a little bit to be desired. Defensively, he's not horrible. But we'll see how his defense translates to Division One, and if this is a team that's going to have to go zone a little bit, whatever. You know, we'll see what happens. That's up for for Kay to decide and all that. I don't really want to speak on that necessarily, but he's he's a very capable player, and he's another player that is, you know, a one and done candidate, which means his development is going to be sped up a little bit in the off season and in games early on. So we're going to get to see a lot of him in a Duke uniform. I would like to think, uh, Trendon Watford. Both of them play the same position in high school, which is that four spot. They kind of stretch four. But Watford is a little more of a banger down low than Hurt is even. And he he can score on, on multiple levels as well. I think they would complement each other really well, uh, even with Carey in the middle. Carey can go out and step outside if he needs to, too. So I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of versatility being offered if you take Watford and Hurt and Carey on the same roster. You, you you make your offense very versatile. Defensively, Watford is a very good defender, and he's a very good rebounder. He he has a motor kind of similar to, to Emmett Williams when we were recruiting him uh, last yeah. season. The kid has a motor, and he goes. And he he plays with a chip, and that's that's the type of guy that I like seeing K go after because those were always the types of guys that kind of gave Duke trouble in March. And, and during the season at times, those guys with that chip on the shoulder. So I think he's going to kind of play with that chip and, and be able to – to cause some some problems for teams if he's if he does put on a Duke uniform. I don't I don't know that Matthew Hurt is going to scare him away because those two can coexist at that wing three and that that kind of stretch four spot. So I I would like to see that. I, I would like to see that kind of come to fruition. In terms of and we're gonna you know I'm gonna hold off on that question because I know that our last pillar is going to be talking about next year. So I'm gonna hold mm-hmm. off on that. But in terms of uh, next year uh, and or next decision making purposes for next year mm-hmm. let's switch gears and talk about cam reddish and trey jones while everybody believes and i do as well i think there's zero chance that cam reddish comes back mm-hmm. at least he's open for discussion uh based on how the year ended 
And then really the only possible person that could come back of those big four would be Trey Jones. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about both of those guys. Okay. Uh, I almost want to avoid talking about Cam in terms of coming back because we know that's not going to happen. Well, uh, I'll throw one thing. About... I'll uh, give you one nugget for that. I'll, I'll throw one nugget out there because I've, I've never bought into how the season ended determines whether a kid will come back for a whole sure. season after that because you know you, it, his advisors and his coach will tell him, don't let this one game determine what you do for the rest of your basketball career. Like, go. Like, get out of here. Go be you in the NBA. The one thing about Cam is Cam stands to make, within two years, he stands to make almost $10 million more million than he would this season coming out. It's probably the, the seventh or sixth pick in the draft versus what I honestly feel like, and I'm, I'm being realistic when I say this. I'm not just, you know, Duke, Duke Blue, Homer Glasses or whatever. If Cam comes out next season as the guy on this coming team, getting the ball fed to him, maybe maybe adding a little bit more strength, learning how to get to the rim a little bit better, the kid comes out as the number one pick in the draft. He comes out as what people feel was his potential, which is as a Paul George. With his size yeah. and the defense that he plays and everything else, he comes out unequivocally as the number one pick in next year's draft. The, the, the high school class is not good enough to supplant a, a, a sophomore Cam Reddish. And... Quite frankly, no one else in college next season is good enough to supplant a sophomore Cam Reddish because they're all going to leave this year. So he absolutely has the best chance to come out of anyone as the number one pick next season. So in two years, that gives him almost $10 million. In four years, that almost gives him $20 million. That's a huge difference that you don't make up the rest of your career. You don't make that up any farther down the line in your career. Even if you get max contract after max contract after max contract, that is still in your first four years, because that's your first contract, that is still $20 million that you can possibly make. So I, I think I think someone will show him those numbers, I'm sure, but I, will that be enough to keep him back? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's hard to say. Yeah, no, I, I actually think that, that is, that's true. And it's an argument that, that rarely gets brought up because you talk about, um, you know, a kid is in a lottery, he has to go. There are mm-hmm. just, you know, too many things that could possibly happen that could cost you. Um, but again, if you have the confidence in yourself um, to, to take that next step, then you do it. Do you really believe that Cam is a kid that could have that argument presented to him uh, or at least that other option presented to him and he could sit there and look at it and say, you know what, you're right. You know, if I come back on this team next year, be the guy. And he would be. He would be the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that he could look at that and say, I'm going to take my chance and I'm going to roll the dice. I have that much faith in myself to know that I can, I can make that happen. Do you think that that actually is something that he would consider? I, I absolutely think it's going to be a conversation that will be had. And I think he'll be, if, if I had to put a prediction on it, I would say Zion and RJ will announce first. And I think Trey, yeah. if, I'm going to say Trey's going to come back. Let me just play that side of it wow. right now, whether, whether wow. I believe that or not. I'm going to say he's going to come back. But let's say Trey is going to announce that he's going to come back. I think Cam is going to be the very last one. They have two weeks left. He's going to be the very last one to announce what he's going to do. And I think in that time frame, it's going to be – I think that discussion is going to be had ad nauseum with his camp. Uh, and, okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to stop you. So I disagree with that. They have two weeks okay. to announce. They have mm-hmm. two weeks to announce. I fully expect that both of them will announce that they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have until, what is it, the end of May? Yeah, they have May to, to come back. So I fully expect both of them to announce that they're leaving. Um, and I, I, 
I am about 70-30 dip in the trade, gone, you mm-hmm. know, gone regardless. Uh, I think that he is more likely to hear what the evaluators say. Uh, I've been told that uh, there are a couple teams that, that really like Trey. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Orleans and uh, Oklahoma City seem to, to really like what he brings. And sure. Oklahoma City I find funny because I guess they just want like point guards that can't shoot. But um, <laughs> but joking aside, I, I, I find it hard to believe uh, where Trey is really in, in this situation – and I hate to use the comparison, but he's really in the opposite situation with brother where his brother's stock was trending so upward, whereas Trey, unfortunately, is trending downward mm-hmm. uh, at this point of when, you know, their freshman year. So um, I think he ultimately still decides to stay in the draft, but I don't think that he'll go sign an agent um, when he declares. But I do agree with you from the standpoint that uh, RJ, uh, RJ and Zion, I, I fully expect it to happen Tuesday yeah. and Wednesday this week. Whether they do it together or they do the, mm-hmm. the normal uh, Duke Blue Planet thing where they'll, they'll announce yeah. each one uh, individually, either one. But um, the Cam one is interesting, and that's why we wanted to have the segment on Cam and, yeah. and Trey. Uh, I fully believe everything that you said is absolutely true and that he can have the ball. I would love to see a duo – of him in the motion offense with him and Vernon Carey next year, mm-hmm. another year of experience uh, with Cam Reddish would be unbelievable. Uh, I just, I'm too realistic. I'm too rational to, to suggest that uh, a team that is going to be a top 10 pick <laughs> would ever oh, yeah. possibly entertain coming back. No, that's the thing. And that's, and that's the question that you had asked, which is, you know, will he be able to seriously sit down and consider that option of if you stick around, you have a chance to make, you know, that, that X amount of dollars, more than you yeah. would make this season and yes i think he will have that conversation ultimately i think he's going to choose to to bounce i think he's i think he's out obviously and as he should again as he should be like if you have a chance yeah. to go make that money go make that money and when you're making that much money what is the difference of 10 and 20 million dollars well, when you're making hundreds of millions of dollars yeah there's not a huge difference but early on if you if you happen to flame out or whatever else that's a big difference so it's you're almost betting against the guy to fail to tell him to stick around and get yeah. more money as opposed to you're going to go and succeed because you have the ability to do it. So it's, it's a very delicate conversation to have. So, you know, I, again, I fully expect it to be had, but at the same token, I fully expect him to say, no, I'm going to go get it now while I can. I think Trey, his, the comparisons are being made with him and his brother, how they ended their seasons and similarities in their game and everything. I think for Trey, his precedent is going to be another Trey, which is Trayvon Duvall. I think that's going to be his precedent about whether he gets drafted highly or not. And it, we now have precedent of uh, a Duke guard who ran the team, you know, as well as he could run the team. Trey Duvall had a good season. Let's not act like he had a horrible season like a lot of people like to pretend that he had. He had his ups and downs, but still, he, was, he showed athleticism. He showed some propensity to play defense. His decision-making at times was, yeah, suspect. He's 18 years old. I get it. So that you're now looking at Trey Jones, which is a good defensive point guard who can't shoot. And that, that was what Trey Duvall was, a good athletic point guard who can't shoot. So now we have the precedent of a point guard at Duke not being taken because he can't shoot. So Trey has that in the back of his mind. I'm going to guarantee you that that's going to be there. Not his brother's season, but Trey Duvall's season is going to be what's thrown in his face a lot. Yeah, I, I think that that was my next point that I was going to bring mm-hmm. up is uh... – you know, let, let's start with Trey, that we fully expect if he leaves, he's going to be in the D-League, G-League mm-hmm. um, for the majority of the year. 
that's just a fact. That is yeah. a fact. It happened to Grayson Allen, who, you know, was a first round pick. So mm-hmm. it happens to a lot of players. It happens to a lot of players. So we yep. fully believe that he'll be in the G League if if and ultimately when he decides that he's gonna stay in the draft, in my opinion. Um yep. I think that I'm not gonna call someone that has a chance to make millions of dollars a mistake. No. I think that uh, to a lesser extent, the same uh, argument that you're kind of seeing the Pam mm-hmm. should definitely be used for Trey. Where absolutely, you know, come back, come back another year, man. Uh, get that first round guarantee. Get a little bit more money. Uh, ultimately, uh, I know the other side of that argument is, well, you know, if you're a second round pick, uh, you get closer to your uh, second contract faster. And I, I don't like that argument because. Um, I think that that is grasping at straws. I think that in in you know a perfect world, yeah, that's true. Then why wouldn't everybody want to be a second round pick, right? Um, but I I just don't think that that is accurate for Trey. Um, I think he would be. I'm not. I am usually the guy that says, yeah, you can you know better your game in the pros and better your game even in the G League and all these other things more so than you can when you come back. To school, you know, that, you know, because you always hear so and so is not ready for the NBA, and so and so needs to come back and work on this and this and this. But they can do that in the NBA. Um, I think that it would behoove um, Trey though to come back one more year, um, run the offense, have a bunch of shooters around him, and work on his shot all season long, and show scouts that that he can do that. Uh, I know that you feel differently um, based on what Trey brings to NBA teams. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I I, I feel a little bit differently in terms of what he what he does offer certain teams. Um, it, but I I don't feel differently that I I 100% agree with you that he he can better his cert, the skills he needs to to make better he can better those in college more so than he'd be able to in the pros. But absolutely, I I, I think what what he brings to a team in the NBA is just his court vision and things like that. But, you know, that, that type of point guard doesn't exist anymore in the NBA unless that guy's about 6'3 or 6'4. So, you know, he's going to have, he's going to have a rough go of it when he goes, no matter when he goes, he's going to have a rough go of it. If he can make himself a floor stretcher a little bit, some, if he's, if he can become somebody who can hit a couple shots here and there, or even, even hit shots to the clip of being a 15 point scorer in the NBA eventually one day, then I think he should try to achieve that. And and that for him, for him, I think his race that would be better achieved in college. It's just certain guys like the athleticism, everything else. Those guys who are uber athletic, super strong, all that type of thing. Those are the ones that are made better with with NBA programs. I, I think the co- the guys who need to grow into their bodies and everything else like that. I think they're made better in college, and I think that Trey fits that mold a little better. So I'd I'd like to see him say, I think he is going to stay. I think he's not even going to put his name in the in the draft. Wow. Now. I think yeah. he's I think he's, he's just going to go ahead and come back because he has <laughs> Tyus. He has Tyus as an advisor. If the brotherhood is is what we say the brotherhood is, which I think it absolutely is, then he has just a myriad of second or first round type pick point guards to talk to and he's going to have those resources. He's probably had those resources all season long. Guys like number 1 Nolan Smith is sitting right there with him. John Shire, in, in a way, was is sitting right there with him. You know, Chris Duhon, all those guys are people that Kay will put him in communication with if he has questions, if he wants to use those resources. And then, of course, his brother. Like, who else, who better than any of those guys than to talk about it than with his own brother? So, 
it, it it's going to be a tug of the heartstrings type thing. Is he want to get to, does he want to get to the league because of what's happening with his mom? Like I, I can absolutely see him saying, I want to go make money right now. So I can also help out my mother with her medical expenses and things like that. I can see that that is, that is something that is not out of the realm of possibility. And that's something that should be, it, it, it's, you don't want to talk about, you don't want to use her illness in that way, but I'm just saying that's something that's going to be in his mind and it absolutely is going to be in his mind. So who knows? Who knows what happened? But I still think that he's going to come back. I really do. I still think he's going to come back. I think he yeah. wants. I think he wants a championship. I think he wants Oof. that defensive player of the year. I think he wants a legacy at Duke, in particular, and he doesn't have it right now. I, I, I think he's going to stay. He's he he was the Duke fan in the family, not Tyus. So I don't know, man. I, I think he's going to yeah, stay. I I wish that you were right. Uh, you're just not. <laughs> um, that's just not the reality. Uh, you, no, it's you, not. You. you Started out logical, and then as you continued your progression of your argument, uh, the screen just kept getting darker and darker blue, <laughs> and um, you know, and she's kind of started losing all logic. Uh, I'd be, I'd be relatively surprised if Trey came back. Uh, as much as I think that it actually would benefit him to have another year at Duke, mm-hmm. I agree with all the reasons that you stated in terms of yes, he was a Duke fan and all that sort of stuff. I know for a fact that he wants Duke. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all the guys who leave love Duke, they all love it. Like it's not. That's well, not. No, I mean, you know. Trey, Trey in particular, though. I've everything I've, yeah, yeah. I've heard. Uh, Trey loves Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he necessarily love the schoolwork? Not so much. And I, right. I just don't know that um, ultimately that that he's going to decide to stick around. And I, I, I want to put this out there. I, I want to really emphasize the, and this happened with Tyus. I, I have uh, direct uh, sourcing on this. That this happened with Tyus. Um, the peer pressure. Uh, coming in with a group mm-hmm. uh, and then ultimately watching those guys go is something that kind of pushed Tyus a little bit further out. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's going to push Trey out as well. I think he's going to see RJ Zion and Trey, uh, Pam leave uh, mm-hmm. just like Tyus saw Justice and, and Ja leave. And, and I think he doesn't want to be left behind. Uh, yeah. As much as he wants to, and I know he wants to, I just think that um, he's going to see that and he's ultimately going to decide to go. And, and you're right, he, he's going to have plenty of resources, but he's had those resources since he committed Duke and, and probably prior to that. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't necessarily believe that um, they're going to give him the best information. That's what Duke always does. They're going to give him the best information possible. Um, but I, I don't believe that uh, ultimately um, any of those are going to convince him to stick around. And uh, so I, you know, I hope that you're right. I really do. Uh, you do owe me a state dinner. I just want to make sure that that's all. I was going to say, do we need to throw uh, another I, I mean, it's going to take a while for us to even want to uh, <laughs> talk about the year and, and celebrate the year. Um, so let's go ahead and transition to next year already. Let's transition okay. to next year. Uh, I know it's early. We still don't have a full roster yet of, of knowing who's going to be there, uh, who's sticking around. One guy we haven't touched on uh, for next year. And it's still a question mark. Is Marquise Golden? What mm-hmm. do you see, Marquise Golden? I don't. I don't see any reason why he would leave. I really don't, because he's not on. He's not on a draft radar at the moment. Yeah. He's not. He's not a guy that they're like. Okay, yeah, he's. He's. He's on the way out. Like he's. He's not that guy. I don't. I don't. I don't see that. So I, I don't see any reason why he would leave. I don't see any reason why he would go become a, a grad transfer somewhere else, unless. Unless he's being told that having having hurt and carry or Watford hurt and carry is just going to push him out, 
if that's the case, if those guys are coming in and, and the case is that he's not going to get the time he needs on the floor because those are guys, those guys are coming in, then sure he goes, he, he leaves. And, but we talked about it before in another podcast, he's, we, we've been told his entire career here at Duke that he's leaving every single time from the time we recruited him to the time that, you know, until now. And I just, at this point, I just, I don't see any reason why he would leave. So, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I think he'll be around. I think, if you're right about Trey being gone, then I think the staff looks at either bringing in R.J. Hampton in earlier or trying to get Kyra Lewis uh, from Alabama if he can play right away. That's that's the big if for him. Like They're not going to bring him in if they have to sit him, and then they can bring him up as a point guard next season because they already have plenty of point guard prospects in 2020 that they want to bring in. So I think we see Kyra Lewis get looked at only if his 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 transfer will be immediate and if he's willing to come to Duke, because and that that would mean that Trey is gone for sure. So I think I think the dust will have to settle first off of Trey's decision before anything is done with that one. And same with R.J. Hampton because he's been adamant that he doesn't want to come in yet. So you know I, I don't see that being pushed too much harder un, unless that camp in particular says, "Hey, coach, we see what's happening with the team. We're ready to bring R.J. up." So out, out of respect to the kid, I can't see K making that move. So so in my opinion, yeah. I think we see our bench guys that we have now. Joey, uh, Goldwire, AOC, Alex O'Connell, uh, Jack White, Queese. I think we still see him on the squad. Javin, obviously, will still be on the squad. And and, and Buckmeyer. Am I losing, leaving anybody off from this current squad outside of outside of the four <laughs> freshmen? <laughs> no, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Buckmeyer. That, that was that was a nice touch. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so you don't, you don't think that there is any chance that Javin DeLorean declares for the draft? No, 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 no. Is <laughs> is that that double double? That, I, mean, I don't know, man. A, a double I mean, double. His, his stock has never been higher. Yeah, yeah, his stock yeah. Stock has never I, been higher. And I, I, I loved... left early because of a double double. He left early because yeah, of a double double tournament. So, absolutely. And I want I want <laughs> you to strike. I want you to strike while the iron is hot. Yeah. Um. You know, I th- I think it is a little early for us to predict. Um. You know, expectations for next year. So, yeah. um. You know, while this is our final pillar of, of this season, I do want to let everybody know that uh, the, the Five Point Play podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter, will be here the will be here the, the entire off season because uh, Duke basketball and why we started this podcast is about the program. It's not just about the season. And you know, I've seen a lot of social media accounts. You know, what does Zion eat for breakfast? Uh, is literally an account on Instagram. Um, free, free free plug for them. But yeah. it's you know it's not just about Zion and I love Zion he's one of the greatest players that we've ever had and and you know congrats to him on all the the accolades that he's getting the the uh, AP Player of the Year both him and RJ on the uh, on the AP First Team uh, and ABC Player of the Year um, he's going to get the Wooden and the Naismith uh, this weekend he deserves all of them but I want to remind everybody but this that this is a program that the Coach K started 40 years ago. And it's the reason that we became fans. And we're going to talk about our fandom uh, over the end of uh, the offseason and, and throughout the offseason. Um, but I, I want to take it one step further and just talk to the fans real quick about the, the elite players that we have had and that we've been blessed to have come and choose to play for Duke and Coach K. It just it doesn't guarantee anything. So while we're disappointed in the outcome of this season, you know, it, it puts us in a much more favorable favorable position to get those guys coming in, to get the Zions, to get the Bagley's, 
the Jabari Parkers, the Austin Rivers, the Kyrie Irvings, those aren't guaranteed. It's why every blue blood out there is recruiting these guys. And while Cam Reddish didn't have the season that we all wanted him to, don't use the fact that, you know, someone might project him to be a top five pick or the next Paul George, as, as AC's already talked about. Don't let that discourage you or set unrealistic expectations. And don't let that ruin the enjoyment of watching the guys that choose to come play for Duke. These are our guys. We're always going to stand behind them on this podcast. And I encourage our fans to realize that it's just a game. And while it hurts right now, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. We're still going to be Duke. Nobody's going to watch the Final Four because we're not there. And that should tell you all that you need to know about the program that Coach K has built. Go Duke. Go Duke. The concept of next play started for me a long time ago, but it's not something I started coaching with, uh, it's something I learned, where I finally came to realization that, you know, no matter what just happened, I gotta be really good in the next thing. I can't let a failure, like I just missed a shot, impact my defense the next time I'm on the court. Nor can I, if I hit something good, you know, get so, caught up in it that I'm celebrating that I don't I don't do it. In other words, how do I stay balanced? How do I stay me throughout this whole thing? While learning from my experiences. You know, if I made a mistake, I'm not gonna do that, try not to do it again. If I had success, I'm gonna try to replicate that or what how did that happen? If you're my opponent, you know I'm gonna compete against you every second. Next play.